Gracious God, by your spirit, open us, our mind, our heart, our energy, our focus, all our vital powers, that we would perceive and receive this word you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Matthew's account. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly for fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said greetings, and they came to him and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. And tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. The word of the Lord. We have a lot of things going on today and a lot of people and a lot of uh, activity. And I think we need some order uh, as we confront these astounding gospel messages this morning. I want to organize us just for a moment uh, to experience the, the story of Easter as the gospels direct us. So dividing in half, right down this aisle, for you all over here on the main floor, I want you to enter the world of Easter according to the Gospel of John. In John, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb on Easter morning. She finds it empty. She runs and tells Peter and the others about it. There's a lot of running going on. And then they go to the tomb again and find it empty. The disciples do. And then everybody, well, they just kind of go back home. That is your Easter in the Gospel of John. Now, balcony, I don't want you to be left out, and choir. Uh, so balcony and choir, and all of us up here, I want us to enter the world of Easter according to Luke. It's similar, but it has a few distinctions. Women, again, go to the tomb, find it empty, and they run to tell the disciples what has happened, and everybody is amazed. Balcony and choir, can you look amazed for a moment? We'll work on that before 11 o'clock, okay? It'll be okay. Then later, two disciples are on their way to another village for dinner, uh, talking about Easter and what has happened. And Jesus comes alongside them on the road, and they don't even recognize him. That is our Easter, balcony and choir, if we're in the Gospel of Luke. Which leaves this side, and the Gospel of Matthew, which I just read. And you don't even need to remember what I just read. All you need to do is hear that this side of the congregation celebrated Easter and went home, and the balcony and the choir celebrated Easter and went out to dinner, and you can just have your jaws drawn open in astonishment going, what? Because for you, Easter is an earthquake. Easter happens and everybody sees it and just kind of goes home, or everybody sees it and they can't even cancel dinner reservations. 
I mean, how dumb are these disciples in those two Gospels? In many circles, it's popular to speak of Easter as an experience. Not something that actually happened, mind you, but as an experience of the risen Christ. Like the disciples all got together and said, remember Jesus and all those great stories he told? If we remember that stuff, it's almost like he's still with us. Uh, No. Uh, We're not dealing with creative disciples here. These folks were not into the metaphor of Jesus' life. They were into Jesus being alive. Uh, These disciples were not smart enough to think up something like resurrection. These are the kind of people who can go to an empty tomb and be told that Jesus is risen and then go back home and have lunch. You don't get a resurrection invented by people like this which is why I love Easter as it is told in the Gospel of Matthew. Because for Matthew, it's an earthquake. Once again in Matthew, it's women, and they go to the tomb, and they are met by this impudent angel plopped down on the big stone, just sitting on it, saying, no, he isn't here. I told you by now, he's probably all the way out into Galilee. Jesus has gone to where the action is. And all the while, the earth is shaking. Easter's an earthquake. I was in a little earthquake, at least I thought it was an earthquake. It was at least a little tremor once when I was visiting a friend who's a pastor in California. We're in the middle of an adult education class on a Sunday morning in his church, and the whole building shook just for a minute. Uh, And, you know, it was just uh, what disarmed me was the reaction, not of the tremor, but of all the people around me. They just treated it like another day at the office or something. The only person that seemed to notice was a woman sitting right in front of me. During the tremor, she looked at me and goes, oh, look, those light fixtures fell down last time this happened. (laughs) I said to my friend over, over lunch, wow, what does it take to get your folks' attention? I mean, that's a lot. And he said, oh, no, that wasn't a real earthquake. We're, we're used to minor shakes like that. There is something about us that just wants a little jiggle of resurrection. You know, still keep your same old world. Don't have anything change. Uh, you can keep it kind of like it was the day before yesterday, before everything got really shaken. Oh, we have our complaints sometimes about the same old world, everything from boredom to struggle to tragedy. But it's a whole lot easier to live in a world that we know, hard as though that can be at times, than it is to live in a world that you don't know that can be shaken by God Almighty at any moment. We can adjust to a lot. In our lives, we've learned to adjust to quite a bit. We can whine sometimes, but we can bunker down, dig in, put on the stiff upper lip, face the facts into a relatively safe, predictable world and life that seems Easter-proof. A few years ago, I was sitting by myself in the back pew of a church waiting for a seminary commencement to begin. I was minding my own business but couldn't help overhearing the conversation of the people in the pew right next to me and right in front of me. Uh, and none of them I knew, but I was listening to this one woman who was describing her, the worship service at her church earlier that morning. And she said, oh, it was marvelous. The regular minister wasn't there, so we got to do whatever we wanted. And since it was Memorial Day, we we processed the flag and sang patriotic hymns, and it was great. What was memorable, though, is what she said next. She goes, you know, like it or not, wars and armies are reality, and the church 
needs to face reality. But of course, as she was bubbling on about all this, she did then say, but then we had communion, and the service went, ran way long, and we were late for brunch. It was just too much. And there we have our life in a nutshell. We have to face reality. We're told this all the time. Face reality. We have to learn to live with it. But Easter? Easter shakes the whole known world to its core. I think that angel, the one who in Matthew is sitting on the stone, I believe that's the same angel we meet in the first chapter of Matthew's gospel. You know, the one who went in there and said, Joseph, wake up. Mary's pregnant. God did it. And God's got plans for you. And God's got plans for Mary. And God has plans for that child. I think it was the same angel who wanted to be part of one more great shaking. And I really believe, looking back, that God was only doing here on Easter what God has always done with people like you and me. So in one final act of death defiance, God raises dead Jesus, the one who was crucified for the things he did and the things he said and the way he lived and the life he tried to offer. And in one stunning act, God shook the received, comfortable, predictable world and showed us that God is on the side of forgiveness because Jesus goes to all the people who denied him and forsook him and showed that God is on the side of life, never death. And it showed that God gives us hope even in the teeth of the hardest despair that you will ever know. How can we just go home and treat everything the same after that. Several years ago, I had lunch with a college student who was singing in our church choir at the time. He brought along a friend to lunch, probably so he wouldn't have to face having lunch alone with a minister. Uh, I was introduced to the friend as a football player. The football player was a sophomore. And as we made our way through lunch, the football player offered that. He used to go to church as a kid, but he wasn't in the mood for church right now. I hadn't brought up church at all. I think he was kind of doing a preemptive strike or something. I told him that was fine, but he kept talking about it. So finally I said, you seem pretty definite about this no church thing. Can I ask why? He said, well, you know, to tell you the truth, I'm kind of enjoying myself in my sophomore year, and from what I remember of church and Jesus, you got to change, and I'm pretty happy with my life the way it is right now. I said, oh, so you're enjoying your sophomore slump, and you're enjoying the partying and kind of being on your own, and you don't want to risk any of that by coming to church, and he was like, right, I'll probably come my senior year or something like that. But I got more stuff I want to do before, you know, I kind of have to rein it in. (laughs) And I said to him, this is, without a doubt, the best reason I have ever heard for not coming to church. (laughs) He thought I was making fun of him, but I said, no, 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 I meet a lot of people who say they don't come to church because it's, you know, boring or, or dull or irrelevant or they've heard it all before or they're just too busy. I said, but you're telling me that you don't want to come to church because you don't want to risk getting changed or shaken out of where you are right now. And he said, that's it, right, that's it. To this day, that's the best reason I've ever heard for not coming to church. And if that young man did get to his senior year and come to church, he'd sit over here in the Gospel of Matthew people 
who expect the world to get shaken at any moment and where new life happens all the time. A friend of mine was also in an earthquake. It was different than my little thing. This was a major thing. She and a colleague were in a small conference uh, room in a hotel in California setting up a display when the earthquake hit. Her friend who was with her was a veteran of these things and yelled, get to the doorframe. And so they huddled in the doorframe until the wave passed. We've got to get out of the building now. As soon as it was over, the woman said, we've got to get out of the building now. This isn't over. And they ran outside on the sidewalk just in time to see the sidewalk rolling toward them. Later, my friend reflected, I've been through tornadoes and a tropical storm. I was actually in the middle of a political riot once, complete with tear gas. Nothing was as disorienting and disconcerting as those three minutes. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is an earthquake like that. The earth moves, the world shifts, our life recalibrates. So the angel said to the woman, fresh from the earthquake, don't be afraid. Jesus isn't here. Everything has changed. Don't worry. This really is God's way with the world. And I imagine then that angel went to all the homes and to all the Easter dinners too and said to all those disciples, don't be afraid. You won't find Jesus here because the world just got shaken up by God Almighty. But I'm also sure that the angel probably went and turned to those soldiers and to Caesar and to all the death dealers and life deniers and said to them, be afraid. Be very afraid. The tomb is empty. So everything you believe in, everything your world is built on is in jeopardy. Which leaves us wondering this morning, what do we do now that God has shaken our world? Remember what that earthquake veteran in California said, this isn't over, we've got to get out of here? We have to get out of the building. Uh, We have to leave this place and get out into the world. That's where Easter always belongs. Easter always belongs out in the world. We have to get out of here. This isn't over. Easter is only Easter when we take it out into the world, loving and serving and hoping and risking and and giving and risking all the more. Often loving in the face of quite unlovely people and situations. Hoping right into the teeth of that despair serving in places that we will not necessarily go on our own, and giving even in seasons of scarcity. We have to get out of here. This isn't over. That's exactly what the women did that day. The building they got out of was the empty tomb, and they ran and told everybody they could the good news. That's what the earthquake does to us. It sends us out into the world to be the good news. We have to get out of here. This isn't over. I mean, I encourage you to stay to the end of the service. We've got music and communion and things. Don't don't leave quite yet. And afterwards, greet everybody. And then get out of here. At Easter, we have to get out into the world. It is Easter for God's sake. Jesus is already out where the action is. And that is quite often not in the church. Friends, Jesus Christ 
is risen today. We have to get out of here. This, this isn't over.